0: doing, family? Oh, so good to be together. Hey, my name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here at the gathering. So glad you guys are here today. And family, right before we dive into this, let me just tell you, I mean, this is like the best week ever. <laughs> Come on. Hey, if, if you've called this place home for a while, then you know, after a crazy year and a half of major interruption. Like, listen, freedom gatherings are relaunching in the next service. That's happening, all right? Neighborhood gatherings are launching all week long this week after a year and a half of no neighborhood gatherings. Tonight, Sunday night, 1829, our first ever young adults group is launching in Norm's Coffee Bar at 7 p.m. Pop-up churches next Sunday. I don't know. I woke up stoked this morning. Because I really believe we are entering into just a beautiful season where, um, I mean, we were talking about this when, when we first came back when COVID hit, that God was going to open doors, open the hearts of people, and we were going to see many dreams come true. And I really believe we're stepping into more of that just even today as we relaunch these things. So get ready, y'all. You guys excited? Yeah. Come on. And then, hey, I want to I do this real quick. At the beginning of the year, uh, we also just started believing um, God for, for some miracles. Uh, we started praying together. We had a series called "Winning," and we started praying together for three people in our church. Uh, one of those being Jody Hirsch. And if you know Jody, um, and she, she has been battling cancer for just a long time. Her cancer did go into remission. God answered our prayers. Come on. And so right now, though she she and her husband they're they're back in Houston this weekend where she's been receiving treatment, and they're they're like looking to, they're doing another test to make sure it's still in remission. And so we're going to pray together, and just ask God for a continued miracle, Amen. And then also, okay, Emily uh, Bronson, who's on staff here, um, and she's had this debilitating—it's uh, a um, immune system disease, if you will—for years now, and we've been praying for her as well. That we just believe God's going to give her a miracle. And so we're going to pray for her. And then we've also been praying for one of our elders, Steve Sizemore. Um, he's had a debility, debilitating thing as well where, I mean, he just, um, I can't remember the word, Meniere's disease, where he, he spends a lot of time just on his back because if he gets up, he's dizzy. I mean, he'll spend a good chunk of the day on his back. And so we're believing God for a miracle in his life as well. I um, mean, he, he, that guy, he lives in Lawrence, but he just wants to come and run with us and do all the things we're doing. So come on, can we pray together for these three? And I mean it, like new season, can, can we just... Put our faith in God and just ask for a miracle. We believe you can do those things. Amen? So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for Jody. We thank you for Emily. We thank you for Steve. And we ask that you would touch all three of them today, right now. Be with Jody, Lord, as she goes back to her appointments and as they um, take tests and do things to discover where the cancer is at. We pray in Jesus' name, no cancer now or evermore in her body. We say no and we say you would heal her and, and just do things quicker than the doctors would even expect. And we trust you and believe you for that. We pray for Emily, Lord, that you, would, that you would heal her body in every way. We know you've got incredible plans. And we know we've seen just growth as she's just kept her faith in you through this whole time. So we pray, would you just honor her faith? And God, as we just, we just ask you, you are the God of miracles. Come and heal her body. And Lord, for Pastor Steve Sizemore, would you move in his body? We say no to Meniere's disease today. Remove that from his body. Come and glorify yourself through his physical body. Lord, I pray he'd sit up today and no more dizziness. I pray he'd he'd be able to stand. And I know for all three of them, you have put desires in their hearts for for plans and things that, Lord, they want to do with you let them all three just run with you, every bit that, God, you have for them. We thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And my whole family said, amen. amen. Come on. Hey, can we just give Jesus praise and thank him now for what he's doing? <laughs> amen. All right, hey, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles here, turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, I'm excited for today to get into these scriptures as well because if you've been with us at any length of time. I'm just going to tell you, these scriptures are probably the scriptures we've looked at the most over the seven to eight years we've been a church. And so some of you guys, you might feel like this is about to be review, um, but listen, don't let it be review. Let it be brand new today. Okay. We're entering into a new season. This is going to have so much to do with what we're doing, freedom gatherings, neighborhood gatherings, and everything that God is calling us all to. And so I'm telling you, let's open up our hearts to what Jesus wants to do today. Amen. Is anybody as stoked as I am to be here? Come on, so let's get after the word together. We are continuing our series, Church in the Wild, because it is wild right now. And I think we all know that to a certain degree, right? I mean, division, increasing frustration, fear of an unknown future. Trust levels in our government and institutions, those things are just like trust levels are tanking right now. Censorship is on the rise and on and on and on. And then, listen, if all that weren't enough, add this other new thing into the mix. Have, have you seen this? Where, where all the streetlights are suddenly turning purple? Purple? I don't know, but I think if you've been able to keep a level head through this last year and a half of all this craziness, it's like these purple streetlights are going to finally be the thing to send a brother over the edge. <laughs> this is like end time stuff right here, right? It's getting wild out there, family. And so we have been looking at some pretty wild scriptures in Matthew 24, where Jesus gave us some signs that we can look for that will indicate that the end is near, that he's about to return. So, for example, among several other things that Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said at that time, like at the end, he said many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. He also said because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Okay, those things are happening And and look, maybe there's still a long ways to go before Jesus returns, but I don't think that any of us would deny that we are living in a time right now where the world is getting wilder and wilder by the day. Amen? And so it should just make us pause, though, because the Bible does make it clear that that things will only get more and more wild leading up to Jesus' return. Which is why Jesus said specifically then in Matthew 24, 13, that all these wild things are going to happen. But here we go. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So it's getting wild. But what do we do then as Jesus followers? I mean, do we just shelter in place and hope that we can come out the other side unscathed? No, listen to me. If we would say that we are people who have committed our lives to Jesus, then the only choice is for you and me to stand firm and be the church in the wild together. Amen? And and so let me just remind us all, the whole point of this series is that we want everybody who calls the gathering home to be committed to, to being relationally connected with your church family. Actually, I'm going to say it this way. God wants you committed to being relationally connected with his church family. I'm talking about where you, you begin to have really, really good friends in church who then start to become your best friends in life. And then together you start treating each other like your family. You with me? Okay all right but how does that happen? How how do you even start making friends in church but how do you ultimately become committed to being relationally connected with the family of God? Okay well listen we have steps we want everyone to take here at the gathering. First off we want everybody to go through connect. It's how you get connected in the first place. Then after connect, we want everybody to go through freedom gatherings where you will begin to find freedom from your yesterdays so that you are free to step into more and more of what God has for you today. You will also start making friends in freedom gatherings and you'll have some fun too. All right, but then after freedom gatherings, We want everyone to commit to being in a neighborhood gathering. Those are like our small groups here at the gathering. And and listen to me now, friends. For those who commit, neighborhood gathering is where you go from just being acquaintances and, and friends with people in church to actually being family with your fellow family in church. Okay, so again, how do you get committed to being relationally connected with your church family? Well, look, those are the steps we have for everyone to take to get relationally connected. Now, just look at me. The commitment part is a choice you have to make. We can provide the steps, but we can't make you commit. It's sort of like that old saying, um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? All right, but since most of us, the vast majority, have no experience with leading a horse to water, and since all the young people think I'm a grandpa now for using that phrase, um... <laughs> I thought of a more modern version of that kind of saying that I think we can all relate to, and it's very relevant for my life right now. Um, you can teach your almost teenager the importance of washing their face every day. <laughs> but it doesn't mean they're automatically going to do it. Some of the young people just got convicted by the Holy Spirit right there with that. You're welcome, Mom and Dad. All right, come on, hey, we can provide the steps but you have to make the commitment. Listen, if you want to do what God really wants you to do and be committed to being connected with your church family, then you're the one that has to make that choice. But friends, listen to me. I guarantee you, if you commit, you will find yourself surrounded and supported by the family of God, and you will find yourself being the church in the wild. Okay, You see, Theologically speaking, you and I are currently living in what we would call the church age. But according to the Bible, two things are going to happen leading up to the return of Jesus. Number one, the church age will come to an end. And number two, things will only get wilder and wilder in the world as that happens. Okay, well, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but do you realize that Just like things are going to be wild when the church age ends, do you realize that the church age also began in the midst of a very wild world? And so here's what the Holy Spirit has put on my heart for today. If we're going to commit to being the church in the wild today, then let's see for ourselves what the church in the wild looked like when the church was first birthed in the wild. Okay, but then in addition, we have to talk about this. If we are going to commit, then what are the things that interfere with our ability to commit these days? Because I wonder if you would agree with me that commitment is becoming a rare character quality in this world today. Amen? Amen? So listen, let's just talk about, be open about the things that interfere with our ability to commit so that we can actually overcome those things so that we can commit. You with me? Amen? All right, so in just a second, we're gonna open up to Acts 2. We're gonna see the church in the wild on the day it was born. But now let me make sure we all understand something so important, though. Okay, if you were here last Sunday, we looked at Jesus and how he began his three years of ministry here on the earth, where he, began, it, he was publicly anointed or empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then he proclaimed that the church age was about to begin. He publicly proclaimed that the Holy Spirit had anointed him, or again, empowered him for a purpose... And I'm gonna paraphrase that purpose, but the purpose was to help other people love God, live free, and make disciples. Okay, so that's the beginning of his three-year ministry, three years of ministry. But get this, okay? Later, at the end of his three years of ministry in Acts chapter 1, okay, Jesus then gave his disciples the great commission. In other words, just before he ascended into heaven, he commanded them now to go and do what he had already been empowered to do they were now to go and make more disciples who would then gather together we're talking about the church right now who would then gather together for the sole purpose of loving God living free and making more disciples together okay therefore growing the church to the ends of the earth until the day that Jesus returns from heaven again you with me Now, again, that's Acts chapter 1. But watch this. Just like Luke wrote down those events that took place in Acts chapter 1, the disciple Matthew also recorded those same events in Matthew chapter 28. Only what's amazing is Matthew includes this little detail that Luke left out. Okay, so in both Acts 1 and Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Grow the church. Okay, but in Matthew 28, um, Matthew includes this little thing that Jesus said at the very end. Watch this, Matthew 28, 20. 20, So Jesus is saying, hey, boys and girls, I'm going back into heaven right now. Okay, I'm going to ascend. But nonetheless, nonetheless, watch, he says, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the, what? Age, well, huh? what age is he talking about? He's talking about the church age because you have to see, listen, okay, I'm going to be with you, he says, right now during this church age. But why would that be important for them to know that? Man, he's going to be with them at the, during the church age, but he's saying, I'm coming back for you again one day. And here's the point. Then one day at the end of it all, I will really, really, really be with you as I come back and we're face to face. We're going to live in, a, in each other's presence for eternity on. Are you seeing this? Okay, but, but listen, in the meantime, right now we're in the church age. Most scholars would say we are living at the very edge of the end of it. Okay, but right now, in the meantime, how is Jesus with us? Well, at the very beginning of Acts chapter 2, we get the answer. At the very beginning of Acts chapter 2, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to anoint and empower the church so that they could actually do the Great Commission or do the very same thing that he himself had been empowered to do, to go love God, live free, and make disciples just like Jesus. And listen, after receiving the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what the disciples did. I'm talking on that day. Acts 2, I mean the day the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter then stands up in front of this enormous crowd and he makes a whole bunch of new disciples. It says that 3,000 people got saved on that first day they received the Holy Spirit. And with that, with 3,000 newly committed disciples of Jesus, The church was born, and the church age officially began in the midst of a very wild world. Um, But how do we know it was wild? Well, come on, just think about it. Um, It was only like 50 days earlier that they had killed or crucified the leader of the church. His name is Jesus. But he didn't stay dead. right? But then, come on, if you keep reading the rest of the story, you will, you will find that the world did not give the church a very heartfelt welcome. In fact, so many of the early disciples were actually killed because they refused to stop being the church. Or you can say it this way, Because they were just so committed in their relationship to Jesus and each other and the mission He'd given them. Amen? So they were so committed, so much so, that they did love God, live free, and they made disciples who made disciples who made disciples that for the, roughly the next 2,000 years leading up to today, I mean, now we're on the other side of the planet 2,000 years later, and here we are learning how to be the church as well. All right, but back to the birth of the church. Um, how many of you know, launching a church on day one with 3,000 people might be a little hectic. <sighs> I guarantee you, Peter spent the whole next day interviewing youth pastors and a kid director and trying to train a coffee team and some greeters. Okay, but listen, 3,000 people all at once, you might think it would be hectic, and yet here's what we see. You guys ready to see the birth of the church in the wild? Come on, if you've got your Bibles open to Acts 2, we're going to actually pick it up in verse 41. So Peter just got done preaching to this enormous crowd, and it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 thousand in all. That's a good day in church. We get a day like that, how many know we're well on our way to seeing a region reborn? Because if you can make 3,000 committed disciples on day one who are going to go make disciples, you're going to see some multiplication take place pretty quick. Okay, here we go though. Watch this. Verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves. I want to say it one more time. I know we've read these scriptures a whole bunch here at the gathering. Our church was founded on these scriptures. So listen to me. If you've been in a sermon before where we've gone over this stuff, please don't treat this like review. Please please treat this like it's brand new. In fact, I would love for every person who calls this place home, I would love for us all to read this every day this week. Just go over it again. Get in your heart what God did right here, what we're about to see in the first church. This right here is the only hope our world has. I'm not messing around. Here we go. Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted them Selves. Um, is it just me, or does that word devoted sound sound like a pretty serious commitment? Actually, this is how Pastor Greg said it this earlier this week. We were talking about it. He said, devotion is commitment with passion. Isn't that good? Okay, we'll come back to that. But what were they devoted or passionately committed to? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching okay that means they were devoted to gathering together to learn and grow in the word of God the apostles were teaching what Jesus had taught them through the word of God and they were devoted to here we go come on to fellowship family this right here is the whole entire point of this message series do you see that see that right there they were devoted, or you could say they were committed to fellowship. They were committed to being relationally connected with God and his church family. This is it right there. And, and here's what that starts to look like then. And to sharing meals, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. We just did that. That's called communion. And to prayer. Again, is it just me, or does it sound like they were awfully committed to things like Sunday gatherings and neighborhood gatherings? Because i tell you, we pray together all the time in here. We're, we, man, we're, we're going after the apostles' teaching right here, right now. We just took communion together. And then what are the things that we do in neighborhood gathering? Well, we just talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But, man, we get together, we say to eat, story, pray. We share a delicious meal together. We share the word of God together. And then we pray together. I'm telling you, our church was founded on these scriptures right here. Acts chapter 2, y'all. All right, but, but family watch, because here's the result of their passionate commitments. It goes on, verse 43, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles, those were the leaders, they performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together, I guarantee it was with passion. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the good will of the people. Listen, the leaders at that time, The the world leaders, the, the government leaders at that time, did not welcome the church into the world. But here's what began to happen. The people, the people living in the wild world, they began to see this church that was on fire for Jesus and that loved each other. And they started saying, man, this is everything I need. I need what they've got. These leaders don't know what they're talking about. I need what these church people have. And so here's the result. Watch this. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Family, each day, more and more and more and more people committed their lives to Jesus and therefore committed themselves to being relationally connected with their church family. This was the church in the wild. And you got to see 3,000 people. And then each day, they began to see their region reborn like that. But listen, don't miss this. Here's why that began to happen. Yes, first off, God was moving, amen? But second, they were responding with devotion. Here's why this happened. Yeah, God was moving, but they responded with devotion. Their commitment opened up an atmosphere for God to keep moving. Some of us wonder sometimes, like, why, why, why is it that, man, I'm just, I want God to move in my life so bad, and why do these things keep happening, and why I kept doing, it? I mean, so much of God is able to move so powerfully on the other side of our devotion, on the other side of our commitment. But sometimes when we just, we keep holding back, we keep running from him, God's like, man, I'm going to let you experience the consequences of what happens when you run from me so that you can discover if you will devote your life to me, then I can move on your behalf. So I love this. That word devotion in the original language, um, here's how it could actually be translated. They were steadfast together. Okay, well, um, what does steadfast mean? It means no matter what they faced, and they faced a lot, it means they stood firm together. They remained committed to Jesus and each other, and they were the church in the wild. Okay, which leads me to this. What do you think keeps people in the church today from truly being the church like the church was back in Acts chapter 2? listen, right now I am talking about the church. I'm not talking about people that still need to be saved. I'm talking about people in the church today. People that would say they have committed their lives to Jesus. What keeps church people from committing to being relationally connected with their church family the way Jesus calls us to? And hey, perhaps based on your own church experience. Based on the things you've experienced. Why do lots of people today not take steps and truly commit relationally together in an Acts 2 kind of way? Okay, well, now, real quick, let's get this out of the way. I do know, sadly, and I'm gonna say this with grace, but sadly, there are some churches out there that do not have practical steps for helping people get connected. And even more sadly, there are churches out there that do not even have a heart to get people connected. Like, there are some clicky churches out there. You know what I'm talking about? And so, I'll just, listen, I understand. It it could be really hard to connect with a church family when they don't want to be family with you. Amen? And in fact, I'll never forget... Um, in the days leading up to the launch of the gathering. Actually, we, we hadn't even had our like team meetings yet. We were just trying to discover exactly what it was God was calling us to. And so I went and had lunch with one of my pastors, Steve Sizemore, who's now one of our elders. We just prayed for him. Uh, and and I knew God was calling us to be a disciple-making church, but we didn't have the steps or anything figured out yet. And so I was, I was like, man, Pastor Steve, I know God's calling us to be a disciple-making church. And, and here's what he, he said. He goes, Brandon do you know where discipleship breaks down in most churches these days? And I said, no, I do not, Pastor Steve. Will you please tell me the answer to that question? And family, I'm telling you, his next words to me have played a significant role in the direction our church has taken. I mean, his words have been foundational to our church. He said, discipleship breaks down in most churches when the people of the church refuse to have other people from the church or even certain people from the church, when they refuse to have them in their living rooms. In other words, when they refuse to be relational, when things get cliquish, when they won't commit to opening up their lives, let alone their homes, but really their hearts, to being family with other church people. Amen? Okay, I got good news. We've solved that problem around here. Okay, because I'm telling you, this is largely what freedom gatherings and neighborhood gatherings are all about. We have wonderful leaders here in this church family who have big hearts and they have said, yes, we want to open up our lives and even our homes, but really our hearts and invite the church into our living room so that we can be family together. This is a neighborhood gathering, all right? So with that in mind, listen, we got that problem solved. I'm going to say this with grace, but listen, what do you think then keeps us, this church family, from truly taking the steps that God wants us to take to be committed relationally to each other? What interferes with our ability to commit? Or, listen, man, if you are taking those steps... But there's still some like reluctance. And you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna go all in. I'm gonna check this out. I don't know if I'm gonna go all in. Like, where's the reluctance come from? Okay, I think there's a couple of things. And so today I'm gonna hit a major one. And then next week we're gonna talk about, we're gonna open up about another major one. But listen, for today, what in our, interferes with our ability to commit, I really believe that what I'm about to share right now is the number one reason we have problems committing as a culture today. You guys ready for this? Listen, why do we struggle to commit? Because friends, our culture today has a profound unwillingness to commit. You didn't think it was going to be that easy, did you? We'll explain it, but listen to me. We struggle to commit because we simply won't commit. And listen, I don't care how much we say. Man, this is on me too. Listen, we, the church today, we struggle so much at saying yes to more things that culture wants us to do so often, then we struggle, or then we, then we actually want to say yes to many of the things Jesus wants to tell us to do. Does that make sense? Okay, but I'm going to take it a step further. Here it is. I'll explain it. Listen, it's not that there's an unwillingness to commit altogether. It's just that culture has taught us all that commitment to self should be our number one priority in life. Think about it. It's not that we're unwilling to commit. It's just that we are experts at committing to anything and everything that we think will make us feel good. We are experts at committing to things that we think are going to make life easiest for us. We are pros at committing to our own likes, our own wants, our own preferences, on our own time frame, if it's going to work out for us. We're, we're pros at doing that. I love you. And I'm telling you, I'm speaking to myself too. We're pros at doing that even above the call of God on our lives. Just, just try and tell me this isn't a real struggle. We all know it's true. Gathering family, I heard Pastor Chris Hodges one of my favorite pastors, he said this just a couple of weeks ago. He said, if you want to help people get saved, you first got to help people understand just how lost they are. Okay, well, listen to me. So many of us in the church today, we are sacrificing our commitment to Jesus on the altar of commitment to self. We are lost. Listen to me. Commitment to God, what he says, how he tells us to live is becoming a rare quality. The ability to commit relationally to loving others at the cost of our own comfort and preferences and feelings and time, that's becoming a rare quality in church people today, which means this, that true disciple making is becoming a rare art form in the church today. And if that's not true, then why is it that we need revival right now so bad in this wild world? Family, the whole point of this series is that God wants you relationally connected. He wants you committed to his church. And so with grace, listen, just ask yourself. Everybody just, just look right here, all right? Listen. so with grace, just ask yourself, is there a chance that there's any reluctance to commit to what Jesus is calling you to do? Because you know that that commitment to Jesus is will cost you your other commitments to other things. You with me? And look, I know from personal experience then, man, the question that comes up in our hearts, especially as Americans, we're like, well, why can't I have both? Why why can't I just have both? And look, please hear me. I'm not saying you can't have good things in life. I'm not saying that there's no fun to be had. Man, there's lots of fun to be had as a Jesus follower. And there's lots of good things, there's lots of blessings, all kinds of things, and I love good things. But if those other things consistently interfere with our commitment to Jesus, then it shows us plainly that we are more committed to those other things than we are to Jesus. And Jesus says this, watch, in Matthew six twenty four that no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other, watch, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Think about this. Every commitment we make comes with a cost. There's a cost to every commitment. Your your commitment to Jesus will cost you your self-comfort. You will find yourself doing things from time to time, things that you don't feel like doing, like showing up with your church, like loving others, like going out of your way to encourage somebody, like worshiping with passion, like forgiving others, checking in on that person from neighborhood gathering who wasn't there the time before, Giving generously to the church family. Going out of your way to bring extra delicious food to neighborhood gathering. It'll cost you something. Your commitment to Jesus will cost you your comfort. But you listen to me. Your commitment to self will cost you your commitment to Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. Your commitment to Jesus will cost you your self-comfort, but your commitment to self will cost you your commitment to Jesus. And that's a scary place to live in this time as we keep getting closer and closer to his return. And So look, I, I could give practical examples of things that we in the church were so good at committing to over Jesus, but I want you to hear me. My heart is not to beat anyone up today. My heart is to open up room for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to all of us. Right where we're at. I want us so bad, me me included, to be like those 3,000 people on that day when they first got saved. But even if you got saved a long time ago, I want for all of us, it's like we just got saved a minute ago and the only thing we know is passionate commitment to Jesus and each other. I'll do this, okay? I'll give... I'm going to give one practical example of things that we are easy at committing to over Jesus and his church, but I promise it's going to end on a real positive note, okay? You with me? All right, so here it is. All right, first, some of you are going to get a little offended. Don't get offended. It's going to be positive, all right? (laughs) Um, Here's something, practically speaking, that many of us um, could be good at committing to over church, all right? I'm just going to say it, all right? Um, The chiefs over church. Again, tell me I'm wrong. Half y'all are in first service because the game starts at noon today. <laughs> that's, I'm not saying that's wrong, man. Uh, I'm going to go watch the last half of the game after second service, all right? I love some Chiefs, all right? Um, but let me just share this. So last Sunday, I walked out of church about 12.30. I walked out the back here to go help take down kids' tents because, man, our kids' ministry is rocking outside because we're in this incredible season where so many things are happening and we got this new building going on over there. <laughs> Ugh! But I went to go help take down kids' tents, and as I was walking out, again, it's about 12.30, I saw my friend Thomas Jones. Okay, and if you know Thomas Jones, um, then you might know that I did a double take when I saw him out there at 12.30. And here's why. Because Thomas Jones is an enormous Kansas City Chiefs fan. And so, I'm like, what's going on here? And listen, I promise, I didn't say this to belittle him or anything. I was seriously impressed. But I walked over to him because he had just got done serving as a leader in kids church. And I said to him, I go, Thomas, what are you doing here? I go, you know the game started a half an hour ago. I'm serious, I was impressed, and here's what he said to me. He goes, no, pastor, I can't do that ever again. I'm serious, these were his words. He goes, I can't ever let something like that get in the way of my commitment to church. The church has to come first in my life from here on out. He said this, he goes, I actually told the guys that I watch the game with on a regular basis, I told them, I'm going to have to miss some games, guys, because the church comes first in my life. Ah! Listen to me, family, your passionate commitment to Jesus will require you to give up some other things that you are passionate about in life sometimes, okay? So that Jesus and his church can come first. But I'm telling you, look at what the church in Acts chapter 2 gained. Yeah, they might have given up some other things that they were passionate about, but look what they gained. It's everything this wild world needs right now, amen? And there's no reason... That we, together, can't gain the same things they did. But it happens on the other side of devotion. It happens on the other side of a passionate commitment to Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to start making their way up here.